And every election is important because the people who represent us as kings or kings are elected by us, the citizens, to rule in government. And these people make decisions which impact us, our way of life, and our direction as a nation as well. So I'm just going to open in prayer. Father, Lord, we just give you thanks, Lord. We love you. We thank you, Father, for the wonderful time we've already had in your presence this morning as a church family. Thank you, Father God, for, for every person here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are continuing to, to speak to our heart. And I just thank you, Father, for that. And I pray that every word that I speak this morning and every action I take would be from you. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. So why am I talking about politics and church? <laughs> um, it's because as Christians, it's actually our responsibility to see God's kingdom expressed in our nation. And if you know our vision, that's actually part of our vision, is to see God's kingdom expressed in our nation and beyond. And so it's our responsibility to bring godly influence uh, into the government which leads our country and makes decisions which impact us, and they make decisions on our behalf. So they, they essentially work for the people as elected representatives. Um, and the second reason is because if we, when we don't stand up for righteousness um, as the body of Christ, our country can become a moral, bit of a moral mess. And part of our church vision, as I said, is to see God's kingdom expressed. So any country, any country will collapse into a moral mess when God is excluded from the seven mountains. And that's something I preached on probably about a year ago. I did a series on the seven mountains. So if you're interested in that, go and, and, and have a look at that. But the seven mountains, as a reminder, are media. That, that's one mountain. Family is another arts and entertainment, economy, education is another one, and also government, and the last one is religion. So when we ignore issues and the increasing moral decay, we, the body of Christ, aren't actually doing our job. We're not doing what God's called us to do. And government, as I said, is one of those seven mountains, so it's our job as the body of Christ to exert God's influence showing his love and his goodness in each of the mountains and taking control off Satan um, so that the seven mountains in heaven, because basically um, <clears throat> the seven mountains on earth are meant to be a reflection of the seven mountains in heaven. And so we need to take that control off Satan. He's doing his very best to, uh, to try and exert his influence. So I want to reflect a little bit on what I did speak on over a year ago about the mountain of government. So Matthew 6, 9 and 10 says, Our Father in heaven, and I've mentioned this scripture recently in a slightly different context, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, not our will, your will, um, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm just going to have to cough. I apologize. And I'm just going to move that. Apologies for that. <laughs> okay. So, as I said, the, the mountain of government is in heaven. 
there is the mountain of governance, so are all the other mountains as well. And it, on earth, it should actually reflect what's in heaven. At the moment, it doesn't very well, but it should. And so let's have a look at what the mountain of government looks like in God's kingdom. First of all, God is king. And secondly, his love for us is displayed in, in power. And we know that God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. And so being all-powerful is shown in many ways. And, and one example is um, he's got an immense love for mankind, and so he sent his only son to die on the cross for us in our place. Um, and, but with man, often power can corrupt. But in the mountain of government in heaven, God as king is complete power, but with restraint. And you know how we have uh, the, the fruit of the spirit? One of the, the fruit is self-control. And God has the fruit of the spirit, all, all of the fruits. He's got all of them fully, fully, um, they're fully manifest in him. And so one of the so all, what he says in his word about the fruit of the spirit is that's what we should be aiming to do too is to develop the, the fruit of the spirit, and one of them is uh, um, self control. So God as King is complete power, but he doesn't use it unwisely is what I'm trying to say. He uses it with utmost wisdom. And when the mountain of government is truly influenced by God as King, there won't be any corruption and freedom will be protected at all costs. People will be free to discover and serve God, to be successful and thrive, but without limitations. You know, the amazing thing about God is that God never forces us to do anything, does he? And so I, I love that about God. So God's all about freedom, because he could, could have made it so that, so that we have to bend to his will. It's completely within his power to do it but he chooses not to because he wants us to willingly choose him. And, you know, it's, it's a, if, I, if we have a look at uh, the mountain of government on earth, the enemy has sought to control it. And there is a principality that resides over that mountain. And Lucifer himself, or Satan, is that principality. What shows, in, in fact, to me, how important power and control is to him because if he's saved that one for himself that means it's important to him and he operates through pride manipulation greed and deception as well deception is one of his main tools that he uses and it's often covertly done that means it's not openly acknowledged or displayed and he uses people who are motivated by a desire for power or by pride or by greed and so that's that's what it would look that's what it looks like when satan's in control and he tries to use deception to manipulate those even the ones that are in power and he uses the people under his influence to advance his agenda to control and so the people who are power hungry and or corrupt or have a desire to control. They're not really the real enemy. The real enemy here is actually the kingdom of darkness. Um, but he just uses people like pawns to try and achieve his goals. Now, what's his main aim? He wants to ultimately kill, steal, and destroy, as it says in John 10.10. 10. 
He seeks to control, to enslave, and to burden. And he doesn't want nations to experience God's kingdom through the mountain of government. He doesn't want um, he doesn't want nations to experience God's kingdom through any of the mountains, but especially the mountain of government. Uh, so, what does God want to see in New Zealand? Well, before I specifically talk about New Zealand, in God's kingdom. He's the one with absolute power and authority. So in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know, in, on earth, earthly kings put up walls of protection, don't they? And they only allow privileged people to enter the throne room. And if we ought to see them face to face, and that's the case too with government as well. You can't just walk in and have a meeting with the prime minister. Um, the <laughs> But God, he has got an open-door policy, which I love. And as sons and daughters of God, we have the same right to enter the throne room as Jesus does. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Isn't that cool? And so, you know, God wants to see his love displayed as power with restraint reflected in the governments of nations on earth, including in this country, New Zealand. So on the mountain of government, this is what it should look like. This is what it would look like if, if, if it was reflected properly in, in the world. Um, first of all, there would be freedom, complete freedom to choose, to choose how to live, to choose who or what to worship, to choose where to go, to choose where to, when to go there, to choose anything, because God's about choice. And even though he wants us to choose him, he doesn't make anyone choose him. And so he, he allows us to make our own decision. So freedom is the biggie. There should also be a, there would be a healthy balance of government as well, because too much government or not enough government can create a bit of an imbalance, which isn't very healthy. Because it's only God, if you think about this, only God knows how much and how best to keep that balance right. Um, and that's why, that's why relying on the Holy Spirit is so important. And if there, if there are people in government that know God, relying on the Holy Spirit is um, incredibly important for knowing steps to take and knowing where to go and what, you know, what to do. So the, the motivation would be to use the power entrusted to them for the good of all as well, the good of all, not just some, but all. And all of its citizens should feel that they are able to succeed and conditions would be created to enable everyone to thrive. And this is the last one. Those in, in government would serve with humility and integrity and a servant heart. Integrity and humility and a servant heart. So that's, that would be the ideal thing in this world. That's what I'd love to see in our government. So when we're voting, our motivation should be to select or elect, if we take the S off the word select, a king who will create an environment which allows us to advance the values of God's kingdom, thereby putting a stop to the advancement of the kingdom of darkness. And so 
Proverbs 13, oh, sorry, Proverbs 14:34 says, "Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people." Now, righteousness is we're made right when we make Jesus our Lord and Savior. He made us right with Him. Um, righteousness is standing in in the presence of God without feeling inferior or unworthy or guilty. Um, unrighteousness shows itself in things that are wrong or unjust, and it shows itself through sin as well. But in the context of Proverbs 14.34, righteous um, and thinking about government, righteous means to be morally upright, which is to be honourable. So think about this. This would be, this would be what people in government would, would be. Honourable, honest, just, having strong ethics and living by godly principles, living in and working by godly principles. Now Proverbs 29.2 says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. And what is wicked? What does wicked mean? It means to be ungodly and hostile to God. It means also to be guilty of violating God's principles as well. When governments allow corruption through ungodly laws, um, and, and it can be any kind of law that goes against, directly against God's principles. So uh, not every law that's passed will violate God's principles because not all of it's about moral type things. But when, when ungodly laws are introduced that go against God's principles, its citizens are left feeling uncared for, abandoned and exploited. And the enemy likes to distort government by bringing the wrong spirit into government with a power imbalance. And when this happens, the people can fear fearful, feel fearful, um, hopeless, and they can feel apathy because they feel powerless to change what's going on. Um, and this, so this election that's coming up soon gives the people of New Zealand an opportunity to select or elect a leader and a leading party or, or parties that will navigate us through the difficulties that we face as a nation because there has been a lot of groaning going on over the last few years. Um, I don't know if you agree with me on that, but it's been a hard few years, don't you agree? It's been really hard. And so how do we select that leader? Well, let's have a look at what God's word says about that. So I want you to look at Deuteronomy 17:15. Now this is from the New Living Translation. It says, "Be sure that you select as king the man the Lord your God shall choose." So I want you to notice about this verse two things. First of all, it says, you select a king. The second thing is, select as king the man that God chooses. So this means that God chooses and we select or elect that man that God chooses. And there are lots of candidates and lots of political parties, but God expects us to navigate our way through these, discarding the ones that God's not chosen until we discover the one that God has chosen. So how do we know which ones God has or hasn't chosen? (laughs) 
Firstly, those who are called to this mountain should serve as visionary leaders in humility, integrity, um, with a servant heart. So that would be one thing you could be um, looking at in those people. And consequently from there we can discover the right one by looking at what they do or have done. Now I've got a couple of scriptures, um, two different versions of Matthew 7.16. Matthew 7.16 from the CEV, Contemporary English Version, says, You can tell what they are by what they do. Basically that's that's as far as I want to go with that. You can tell what they are by what they do. That means that we can discover their character and values by their actions. And from the English Standard Version, it says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are they? No. no. <laughs> uh, or figs from thistles? No. So what that means is that... Um, Whatever's in here is going to come out of their mouth and be shown in their actions. Sometimes we, sometimes another thing is that um, what comes out of a person's mouth might not be backed up by their actions. So, so just be, be aware of that because a person can talk till the cows come home about how amazing they're going to make things, but uh, will they back it up with their actions? So we can, we can fairly easily remove those, those God has not chosen by looking at, first of all, their actions. Um, secondly, their past voting history, if they're in government at the moment or have been in government, and by what they say and what they do, and whether they have integrity. That's, you know, integrity is doing what you say you will do. Do they keep their word? And that's where, um, I don't. some of you have seen this already. We've got some of these out in the foyer. Um, so you're welcome to help yourself to these. These are made by Family First. Um, it's a value your vote resource. Um, they don't tell you who to vote for at all, but what they do is they want you to, uh, they look at the, they look at values that impact families so it basically, they look at any laws that have a moral aspect to them and they will, will look at how the various people have voted on, on them and that can give you a little bit of an idea. And so they've, they've looked at, uh, they've listed on one of these pages, or a couple of these pages actually, I think. Yeah, four pages. They've got the various laws that have, be, that have gone through and an explanation of what that's about. Uh, and then they've listed party leaders with, uh, and some of the ones aren't, most of, or all of these are in Parliament, and there's a few that have been in Parliament, and there are about three parties that aren't in Parliament and have never been in Parliament in here. Not every single um, party is listed for the minor parties, but most of them are, which is quite useful. So, so it talks about, like down the side is all the different um, things that have been voted on and how the various ones have voted. And so then, it, so it's got all the party leaders and how they've done with that. And then it's actually got something else really useful, especially when it comes to um, looking at your electorate vote. Um, how have the various MPs voted on, on different things as well? So 
um, it's got these ones listed by according to party, so the red would be Labour, Greens, National Act, and then there's um, some, the other ones that have been in Parliament in the past but aren't at the moment. So this is a really useful resource, and I'd really encourage you, as part of your um, research, to grab one of those and have a good look at that um, as you start preparing to figure out who you're going to vote for. So <clears throat> why are issues impacting families really important? The reason why is because it's a really good gives you a good idea of where candidates stand on moral issues. And remember that scripture says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. And so we want the righteous ones to be in authority. And so I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example from the Bible, and I know I've, gone, I've probably gone through this before, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. In 1 Samuel 16, um, this is where David was anointed king. And, I'm going to, and it's just about the process that Samuel went through in figuring it out. Um, so I'm going to read 1 Samuel 16 verses 1 to 13. And then I'm going to go back and look at um, certain things that were said. So oh, then the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? So Saul was the current king. Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go, for I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Verse 2, And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one that I named to you. Verse 4, So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, yes, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So this is the point now where Samuel's trying to figure out which one is it that God's chosen. So in verse 6 it says, When they came, he looked at Eliab, that's the eldest son, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, he probably was a really strong, strapping young man who looked like a king. He probably just looked the part. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his appearance or at his height or stature, because I, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. The, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab, that's the second son, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said, are all the young men here? Are all your sons here? And Jesse replied, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, he's out there keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And so in verse 12, he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking, 
And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Isn't that awesome? So, you know, it wasn't, he didn't look like, he was the youngest for starters, so I don't know, maybe he was still a teenager. He, he might have been quite young, and he wasn't the eldest son, he was in fact the youngest son. And he, he was the youngest and, and given the chore of looking after the sheep. And so um, in verse, what I wanted you to notice in Samuel 16 verse 1, God said, I have provided myself a king among his sons. I have provided myself a king. And then in verse 3, God said, I will show you what to do. So if we take this as, as this is kind of guidance for us, and then in that same verse it says that God told him to select the one that he showed him. And then in verse 7, you'll notice, as I mentioned before, that Samuel started by looking at the outward appearance of Jesse's sons, but God doesn't actually choose that method. He doesn't look at our physical appearance. He, know, he knows us inside out, and so the heart is what's the important part in verse 7. So what can we learn from these verses? First of all, God has provided a king for New Zealand, a king in inverted commas. Secondly, he has promised to show us who we should choose. And then he's also told us to select or elect the one he's chosen. And Lastly, we shouldn't look at the outward appearance or what the marketers or the media try to portray that person as. And I, I just want to make you aware that, that there, there are people assigned to make the parties look amazing. The larger the party, the bigger the budget, actually. And, uh, and, and so just be aware that when a person is marketing something, they're basically, that's sales. And when you're selling something, you want that something to look the best it could possibly be. And so that's why you can't just take that as your only source of information. You've got to do your own research on this yourself. Because God looks at their heart, their morals and their character. And the heart is the seat of our morality and the center of our character. So when we... We, we, we gain insight into a candidate's heart by looking at their fruit or their actions. And so when you do your research, I want you to think about these things. What are they saying? And have they had integrity in the past? Do they stand up for what's good and right? Do they stand up for godly values? Are we impressed because of their public speaking ability or their clever use of words? Or are we looking at their actions? Remember, it's their actions that is their fruit, not their ability to have a, a clever word to say at the right time or you know, whatever the people are saying. No, say this, say this, and this is the right thing to say. So just be, just be aware of that. And is your impression based on your own research of that candidate their moral standing, or is it based on just the clever marketing campaign, as I said before? Now, um, just, the, just a really quick nuts and bolts about voting in New Zealand. We've got an MMP system. 
mixed-member proportional consisting of 120 MPs, and of these there are 71 electorate seats to be won, and for each electorate, the person who wins the electorate is the person who gets the most votes. Okay, So you all live in an, in an electorate. It might not all be this one, but uh, we all live somewhere, and so we're all in an electorate somewhere, and so we get to vote for someone in our electorate. And the person that gets the most votes in that electorate will win that seat. Um, the other uh, vote we get is a party vote, and there are 49 party seats to be won. And these seats are divvied out according to the proportion of party votes a party wins. So this is an important vote um, as well because it gets a party extra seats. And for a political party to gain seats through the party vote, they need to win, at this point in time, 5% or more of the votes. So you get two votes. Electorate vote... Um, in the past, these, these, the electorate votes have typically been won by the larger parties, National and Labour. Um, sometimes you'll get the odd person that'll, from another party that will win an electorate seat. Um, but the party vote is, is, is where you vote for the party you support the most. These are typically where minor parties get a foot in, into Parliament. So, in conclusion... I want to mention something slightly, well, it's, it's all related. Um, it is becoming clear that there are powerful groups who want to see a global approach to governance, um, including global approaches to health and, and all sorts of aspects of our lives. And so if you don't know a lot about that, I'd suggest you look into that. Go to the World Economic Forum website and read Agenda 2030. If you, if you don't know anything about that. Uh, it's really important you do some research of your own. So have a look at that. Um, the danger with a global approach uh, is that it places the power into the hands of a few people and often those few people aren't elected and they might not even be in New Zealand. Um, and it removes the power from everyday people as well. So there are dangers around that related to sovereignty, dangers for nations around sovereignty. Um, and to be honest, I don't know if you can see it, but I can see the beginnings of Agenda 2030 being implemented in, in New Zealand at the moment um, and other countries around the world as well. And we do have, um, you know, we've got people in, in, in government and I'm not talking about any particular party either. I'm just saying, in general, uh, New Zealand sends delegates to the World Economic Forum um, yearly conference in Davos. They send people to that. And that's all about Agenda 2030 and putting that in place. And so, um, so look into that. Make sure you know about that. Um, because it's actually quite... It's, uh, yeah, just have a look for yourself. Um, now, I just want to, you know, not everybody's like you, motivated by good. Um, so it's important to do your own research. Make yourself aware of what's going on, okay? Um, so any, I want you to remember this in closing. Any group or person who tries to remove power and freedom from everyday people is motiva motivated by the wrong spirit. 
God is a God of freedom, not control or manipulation. So any government who dominates by force or coercion is motivated by the wrong spirit. So bear that in mind when you, when you vote. And so as you prepare to vote, your choice in voting should always be done prayerfully after a good amount of research. So I encourage you to ask God to show you who he has selected as king and, and use the resources available to you. This is just one of them. I'm sure there will be others. Um, then act on what he has shown you when, in, when you walk into that voting booth on election day. Okay, because it's so important that we um, get our nation um, back on track. And in the nine o'clock service, um, um, somebody mentioned one of, our, one of our people who was only at the nine o'clock service this morning said that he has actually seen the effects of removing God in his home country, removing God from every aspect of of life. God was removed. God had been in that in there and was given a prominent place in government and education. And then a big change happened in that country. Um, and not everything in that country had been great. There had been terrible things that had happened, but God was still in there. Um, but he said that since God has been removed and after that big change, um, the person decided in power decided that God would no longer be, um, there wouldn't be morning prayers, that kind of thing, in, in schools. And, and so God has been slowly taken out in that country. And he said that he can totally attest to what I was saying because he said that as soon as we start removing God from every other aspect of, of, our, of our life then it, and our society, then things start to degrade. And it really does fall into decay. It is decay. And we need to, and it's happened because the body of Christ haven't actually stood up and done our job. And so, so we really need to take it seriously and, and, and prayerfully prepare ourselves and do some research as we vote. So I'm just going to close in prayer. And, and I'd also like to invite anyone up um, that would like prayer. If there's anyone that doesn't know Jesus, gosh, he is the source of life. And, uh, and if you don't know God, um, then please come forward. But just looking around, I, I think most of you do, if not all of you. Um, but I'd be happy to pray with anybody that wants a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. That would be absolutely fine. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love, your, your, your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that, you, um, that you're with us today, that you've been with us. Thank you for this morning. I just pray, Father God, that the people today, Father, would, th that whatever it is that you've revealed to them, Lord, just I pray that they would continue to ponder on that and meditate on it um, over this coming week, Father. And I thank you, Lord. We just pray for your guidance. We pray, Father God, we know that you've, you've, you've selected somebody, Lord. You've, you've chosen someone in a party or, or parties to be our king. But Lord, I, I just pray, Father, you would just reveal that to each of us, Father. Show us, help us eliminate the ones that clearly aren't the ones so that we can narrow it down 
and hear from your spirit and know, know the right one to vote for in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And I, pray, I speak blessing and life over every person here. And thank you, Father God, that uh, this week shall be blessed for us. Amen.